Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. If you appreciate our podcast, please consider making a contribution by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Enjoy. How are you doing? Very well. This side says very well. How are you doing? Even better. Okay, well, it's not a competition. But I'm happy to hear that. We've had quite a dramatic day, haven't we? Outside, trees, and the pouring rain, and really quite um, interesting mountain weather. How many of you went out and dragged trees around and chopped wood and... Huh? Yes? Oh, my heroes. That's wonderful. Everything everyone did today, indoors and out, is so deeply appreciated. So to really get a taste of Zen, it said there are three things that are most important. One, Zazen. Two, chanting. And three, but not in that order, work. So we might say, they're all of a whole. When we are doing our meditation in movement, in working, in giving ourselves to whatever the task may be, we are learning how to incorporate this practice into our daily lives. So it's very important. You know, you might not believe this, but it's very easy just to sit and not feel that you're called to do anything. Just be a recluse. Sounds pretty good, right? But one Zen master of old said, Zazen is not difficult. Zen practice is not difficult. If, there's always an if, right? If you have a vow. Now, what is this? What do you think it's in your understanding? What is it to have a vow? Anybody? Mm -hmm. An intention. An intention. Very good word. To have an intention, you may say, well, my intention is to get better at my tennis game. So it may go beyond that kind of intention, right? Yes? Commitment. Hmm? A commitment. A commitment. Another very good word. Intention, commitment. What else? What do you do on New Year's Eve? Yes? You make a resolution. So all of these three come together in approaching the significance of vow to have an intention, to make a commitment, to have resolution. It's very difficult to sustain the intention and the commitment without the resolution, right? To have that resolve is absolutely essential. How many of you made a resolution 
last New Year's Eve. Do you even remember it? <laughs> Probably you do. But have there been times when you felt, oh, maybe you forgot, or, oh, yeah, that thing, right? I was going to stop smoking. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? A resolution that you had good intention to hold, but somehow, any, any other people? Yes? Go to the gym three times a week. <laughs> right. That's a great one. I think everybody can relate. I'm going to get healthy and strong. Let's see, what should I do? Take a nap. <laughs> right? Very difficult. How about another person? A resolution that somehow, no matter how good the intention was, it just didn't stick. Never have a drink again. Very important. Did it stick? For a couple of months. A couple of months. Stay here, sit more. It's very helpful to have a meditation practice combined with going to AA, really committing in the, all these ways because all of us know how difficult any kind of addictive habit can be. For some people, it may be drinking. For some people, it may be checking the screen. You know, how many times have you checked to see if you got some kind of text or whatever. For some people, it may be relationships. Okay, I haven't really finished with that one yet, but I'm going to start a new one. There are many ways in which this society kind of propels us into addictive behavior. It's not just this society, of course, but our consumer-driven society is one of the most addictive because have you noticed that the prevailing message from all the ads you see and hear, the prevailing message is you're no good unless you buy that thing or swallow that thing or turn on that thing or get that whatever it is. So it's a, it's a heavy thing to, to go against the grain. And that's why it's so helpful to have a vow, even more strongly this word, vow, than resolution. So all those three things together that we heard from you and you, you, very important. But even more so, this word vow, yes? Somebody had a hand up. Or maybe it was just raising to feel free and easy. Okay, you came to the right place. <laughs> I will have a little tea. I'm vowing to drink something. Excuse me. And that means you can also, if you need to shift your position a little bit, please do. In this temple, and in any Buddhist center anywhere, we chant the four great vows every day. 
you may have noticed that we do it quite a bit um, in Sino-Japanese. Shujo muhen Does that ring a bell? Yeah. You've been vowing all the time you've been here. What the English, I think you have only done this morning at morning meeting. Is that right? So one time in English. So let's see. How about if all the residents and I chant this in English? However innumerable all beings are, I vow to save them all. However inexhaustible delusions are, I vow to extinguish them all. However measurable Dharma teachings are, I vow to master them all. However endless the Buddha's way is, I vow to follow it. So this is a pretty mighty vow, isn't it? Imagine all sentient beings, however innumerable all beings are. Sometimes it's translated as sentient beings are numberless. I vow to liberate them. So this is a very powerful vow that we're undertaking. Because as you know, there are many times when you unthinkingly take the life of a small creature, right? Oh, that mosquito. (laughs) And how many times have we not even realized, but have we caused harm to some beings because they're smaller than we are? You know, we're walking around. There are many, many, many little beings. So it's almost an impossible thing. But the intention has a very important word, this intention. The intention of this vow extends far beyond what we can see. To have a vow to save all beings or to liberate all beings. First, we have to understand what are we saving them from? What are we liberating them from? And who are they? Everyone in this room, right? Every one of you is included. Who is not sentient here? All these sentient beings sitting here All these beings who are alive and want nothing but to remain alive and happy and fulfilled, right? What else brings people to this practice but this deep yearning to feel alive, to feel whole, healthy, wanted, loved, and a very important word that we don't give full credence to, but really, when you think about it, 
it's probably the thing we need most is acceptance. I wanted to read something to you that a friend of mine who had heard uh, my teacher speak on this many, many years ago wrote and read to us at the 50th anniversary of New York Zendo. He said that first vow, however innumerable all beings are, I vow to save them all. Examine this vow very closely. We mean this literally. Zen is not a halfway practice. Every time we sit, this is our purpose. Save all beings. Understand? Save all beings. Sounds big, right? Sounds ambitious. Sounds like maybe it's impossible. So what does it mean? Save. To save a sentient being. You think, okay, maybe make him happy. Make him free of pain. Take away her suffering. Solve her problems. No. No. Please listen. Zen is always more than you think and less. From Zen point of view, Save means only accept. Accept. You want to save a sentient being? Accept him as he is. Accept her as she is. And most importantly, save yourself. Accept yourself as you are. I think that's one of the most difficult challenges we have. When you feel bad, and that's for many people a lot of the time, and that's why we turn to distractions, addictions of all sorts, right? When we feel bad, It's because there's this deep yearning for acceptance that we don't feel even we deserve. So, maybe you understand what I'm talking about here. How important this word is. Accept. After all, you're all familiar with feeling Uh, the kind of um, I'll use the word compassion the compassion that you feel for someone who's suffering someone who's in trouble someone who's having a problem but there's a big gap between the way you see that person suffering and the way that person feels and so maybe you want to say to clear that suffering away and make yourself less uncomfortable, why don't you just 
dot, dot, dot. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Someone is going on and on about her problem and you're like, okay, well look, just, you know, get a therapist. Do something about it, but don't tell me about it anymore. There's that kind of thing, right? How about if you accept the person, accept the person's inconvenient pain? What happens then? What has happened for you when you have felt someone really accept you? How many of you have felt accepted? It's a smattering of hands. So maybe some of you are shy and you don't want to put your hand up because you think that if you say you've been accepted, then I won't save you. (laughs) But it, it really is true. You know, it's very hard to feel that as you are, you are just completely accepted. And if you can feel that way for yourself, then you can really begin to have effective compassion. Compassion that is not just sentimentality or not just kind of trying to get through the inconvenience, but real compassion. You know what compassion means? Break that word down, com and passion. The C-O-M means what? With. With. To feel another another's pain, with compassion, with passion, right? That's pretty strong. Passion means be intimate, be one with. Don't try to ward it off. So this first vow, however innumerable all beings are, I vow to save them all. I vow to accept So you may immediately think, well, some people are acceptable, but I know one person who is not. (laughs) And you probably know about this person too, if you've been living in the United States for a while. (laughs) How can we offer acceptance when everything that we know about is creating harm for others, creating violent disruption, all sorts of things, right? And that's a big order, accept. But I wanted to read you a little uh, verse from the Dhammapada. Hatred can never put an end to hatred. Love alone can. This is an unalterable law. People forget that their lives will end soon. For those who remember, quarrels come to an end. If we can remember this, that our lives will end When we say soon, for some of you, it will probably be a little bit after my own life, but we never know, right? Never know. If we can remember that our lives will end, the quarrels, the hatred we may feel 
the strong disagreement, the absolute refusal to accept takes precedence over everything. So can we drop that? What happens when you see all of these different prevailing opinions and views politically going at each other? What kind of world are we living in right now? You might say it's pretty filled with hatred. And if you've ever tried countering hatred with hatred, what have you noticed? More hatred. More hatred. More hatred. And it seems as though we're in this endless cycle. So what do we do? As I said to you a little while ago, we're not learning how to meditate just so that we can sit still, but rather as we do when we're working here quietly, taking care of business, so that we can have a beneficial effect, so that we can create a force field of loving kindness as opposed to hatred, right? Very important. So politically also, if we get lost in hatred, lost in reactivity, breeds more hatred. But if we have a very powerful vow to say, okay, I accept as it is, and I will give my vow to save, all beings to our current situation. Something happens. You can actually feel the ripple effect of that statement right here now. Right? Yes? Instead of, I'm going to get that sucker. <laughs> it's like, wow, this person could benefit from a strong energy field of acceptance. It's very hard to fight someone who's not fighting you. Anyone here take jujitsu or do another martial art form? Mm -hmm. It's hard, right? If there's nobody there, you go right down. So we have to learn how to do that politically, too. I don't mean you don't vote. You vote. You vote. Everybody. But even if you are too young, still vote. But, but, but do so in this way. This radical acceptance, it may actually influence your vote, may actually carry that effect, that energy of beneficence instead of fear, anxiety, feeling distraught. So we can choose. This is our minds that we can change and have affect others in this way. Now, when you go away from here, you can say, yeah, she told us we could influence you know, the outcome of the election by accepting these stupid, horrible, disgusting things. Okay. Okay. Let's all try it. What do we have to lose, right? Let's all just pull.
pour forth our radical acceptance of all beings. So that's the first of the great vows. The second one, however inexhaustible delusions are, I vow to extinguish them all. That's another tall order, isn't it? What's a typical delusion that you've noticed? No deluded people here. Okay. How about seeing things the way you want them to be instead of the way they are? It's kind of a deluded way to go about your life, right? Always like looking through, uh, through a glass darkly, as the Bible puts it. You don't really see clearly. You see things the way you wish they were, and so you can't really interact with them. And it's the same with people. You see people that way too, right? I want this person to be a little different, and so you know, until that person changes, I'm, we're not going to be able to make it relationship work. And so there's this um, feeling of continual loss. The delusions just, we get rid of one, another comes. Yeah, whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole. Does anybody here know what that expression means? You ever go to the, um, what's that called? Like at the state fair? Hmm? Arcade, yeah. And every delusion, you think, okay, I got it. That's done. I've taken care of it. I'm no longer going to have another drink, as you so kindly and bravely put it. And then something happens. Something you don't like happens. Something you feel like, okay, I deserve. That's a delusion. It's a big delusion. But we all do it in one way or another. I don't know if you can think of another delusion that you've experienced popping up again and again. Not good enough. Not good enough, yeah. That's a delusion. You are perfect. Right. Yes. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so this is such a wonderful thing that, he, again, he's brave enough. We just chanted Song of Zazen. It starts, sentient beings are fundamentally Buddhas. Buddhas, each one of you without exception, believe it or not. <laughs> and it's that, no, I don't believe, that is the key delusion. Refusal to believe in your own perfection is really key delusion. Because if you don't have faith in yourself, I don't mean in your small self that's always, you know, falling back into the old patterns, the old conditioned things. I mean your true self, the self that you can touch when you're in deep meditation. Everyone has this true self, fundamentally Buddhas. And we sit in order to not only be able to touch that true self, but to create the really strong support for that true self to come forth. So we learn this discipline of meditation. 
where we stop following our preferences, big delusions, things the way we'd want them to be, people the way they want, that you want them to be, all of that. And just put a stop to it. I vow to extinguish them all. Notice there's a pattern here between the first and the second. And the pattern continues. However innumerable. That means you can never get to the end, right? There are more. There are more people, more beings waiting to be saved by you. How? By just saying, okay. Okay. However you are, I accept you. By feeling that acceptance, the person gains strength to change things, to do something about the old patterns. And then, again, inexhaustible. However inexhaustible delusions are, you're never going to get to the end, right? Get to a point where you really work on something. You're going to the gym three days a week. And then what? We don't know. We're not even going to go there. But it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, three weeks have gone by. Uh-oh. Where did the gym go? Oh, they must have taken that gym away. Okay. No problem. We'll start again. This is, again, I wanted to bring up all of these inexhaustible, immeasurable. The next one. However immeasurable Dharma teachings are, I vow to master them all. Sometimes translated Dharma teachings, uh, Dharma gates are numberless. I vow to enter them. The teachings, what are the teachings? What are the Dharma teachings? Fundamental, fundamental reality. Okay, we can translate Dharma this way. Things as they are, very simply. Not Again, not the way we may think they should be, but just as they are. Buddha's teachings. Everything is impermanent, and yet we're trying to grab hold and keep what we like and push away what we don't like. Sure recipe for suffering. That's another way of looking at Dharma teachings. The deep teachings that you feel you are receiving from your life, even the ones you don't want, especially the ones you don't want, everything that happens to us is a teaching. Do we wake up to it? Or do we say, no, that's not, that's not who I am. I don't want that. So we get a lot of opportunities. These teachings come our way through relationships, particularly through our work, through all manner of things. Disasters happen. And it's very hard to sit there and say, okay, that's quite a teaching. (laughs) But before we have the knee-jerk reaction, there is that moment in which we feel the teaching. And we can connect in a very important way that can be life-changing because we don't fall back into the delusions as easily when we've been disrupted that way. So we have to really be grateful to all the so-called bad things that happen in our lives. When we can start seeing them as teachings, 
It changes things radically. We start to feel grateful. That in itself is a radical teaching. To have gratitude for even things that are painful because we know that that's the only way we can drop the old habits, the conditioned behaviors. And lastly, however endless the Buddha's way is, I vow to follow it. Endless. It's not like, okay, you had a nice enlightenment experience this weekend, and that's great. It stops right there. Now you're a Buddha. Now you believe it. Now you will never have any nasty thoughts about anybody or anything. No, no. Sorry. Endless. So here's why we teach return to one, right? Because this is a circle. You go back from endless right to the beginning again. However innumerable, right? However inexhaustible, however immeasurable, however endless. We can say that endless means we are all on this path, that we cannot get off it. This path of Buddhahood is the path you're walking every day. If you accept yourself in this radical way, you will find this endless path is always under your feet wherever you go. And therefore, you can change from the three poisons, which are greed, anger, and ignorance. You can change. You can see how greed can become generosity. How anger can become clear wisdom mind, able to act appropriately. How ignorance can become the innate wisdom that you already have. All you have to do is say, So bring these two together. Bring black and white together. Bring good and bad together. Bring yes and no together. Bring birth and death together. Just this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Zen Study Society podcast. If you found this podcast to be meaningful or helpful, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you and have a peaceful day.